0: You're listening to Community Radio. This is KVMR FM Nevada City, KCPC Camino. It's six o'clock and it's time for the KVMR Evening News. The California Report takes us to Gustine in Merced County to talk with farm workers about the dangers of increasing heat and wildfire smoke to people who work outdoors. After regional weather, KVMR's Paul Emery and economist Gary Zimmerman discuss the Fed's latest decision not to raise interest rates. Al Stoller closes out our newscast with a conversation with Alina Kessling, a JPL research scientist investigating dark matter.
1: This is the California Report. I'm Saul Gonzalez in Los Angeles. That's the sound of striking workers outside of LA's Intercontinental Hotel over the weekend. About 15,000 workers employed at dozens of hotels across Los Angeles and Orange Counties have walked off the job, demanding better pay and benefits. The workers are represented by Unite Here Local 11. Oscar Oriana, who's worked in hotel housekeeping for the last six years, told me he and his fellow workers are fighting for enough pay to survive in LA. We're all
2: struggling here with what we're making right now.
3: And what we're asking for is just to be able to live in LA because LA is one of the most expensive cities in the U.S., you know.
1: So far, there are no signs of progress in negotiations between the union and hotel owners to end the strike.
4: Support for the California report comes from Hint fruit infused water with no sugar or diet sweeteners with more than 25 flavors, including watermelon and pineapple. In stores or delivered from hintwater.com. Stanford Medicine comprising its School of Medicine and adult and children's health systems, working together to advance knowledge and improve lives, stanfordmedicine.org. And Eric and Wendy Schmidt through the Schmidt Family Foundation, working together to create a just world where all people have access to renewable energy, clean air and water, and healthy food, on the web at theschmidt.org. As
1: summer temperatures start to hit triple digits, farm workers in the Central Valley are especially vulnerable to the toll of excessive heat. And looking ahead, it's not going to get any easier because of climate change. KQED's immigration editor, Taiki Hendricks, has this story.
4: Antonia Sierra Martinez, a community health worker with a Merced County nonprofit, pulls up at a dairy farm just outside the town of Gustine. She and her co-worker are out interviewing farm workers for a state public health study about wildfire smoke. Farm workers, including her brother Jose. Today he's separating some pregnant cows from a larger herd. He'll load them into a trailer and drive them to another part of the dairy to give birth. But he takes a break to greet his sister. She's got questions about how he coped a couple of years back in the last bad fire that raged across hundreds of thousands of acres. Jose says ash rained down like snow, and the air was thick with smoke. no se puede. Jose says you can't stop working when you're caring for livestock every day. You just have to put on a mask and take care of yourself the best you can. But the smoke set off his asthma, and he says it felt like he was gasping for air inside a plastic bag.
0: That made for eso, some long, tough days, he says.
4: Then Jose gets back in the corral and herds the cows onto the trailer. Antonia tells me she developed asthma, too, after she moved from Mexico to be with her farm worker husband in the San Joaquin Valley, which has some of the worst pollution in the state. When the days heat up, the air quality gets even worse. And climate change from carbon emissions is making the valley hotter, with the number of 100-degree days breaking records in recent years. California, unlike the federal government, does require employers to provide outdoor workers with shade, water, and rest breaks. But Antonia says some bosses are better than others. She tells field workers if their supervisor tells them to keep working when they need a break, ignore him and just go, get in the shade but more than half of California's farm workers are undocumented. And Antonia says many are afraid to challenge their bosses for fear they could be fired or deported. UC Irvine professor Mike Mendez says that's one reason they're especially vulnerable, whether to heat and wildfire smoke or drought or flooding.
5: No other population in the state of California is experiencing such a disproportionate amount of displacement and impacts in migrant communities and farm workers.
4: And Mendez says that power imbalance is no accident. Political decisions have left many immigrants, especially undocumented workers, out of the social safety net, even when they're growing the food that feeds us all.
2: These disparate disproportionate impacts have been baked into our infrastructure and to our disaster policies that essentially have been withholding vital resources from these communities for decades, if not centuries.
4: On the other side of Merced County, that played out dramatically in last winter's rainstorms when a poorly maintained levee ruptured and flooded hundreds of farmworker families in the town of Planada.
6: Las <laughs> puertas se tienen que con fuerzas porque se
4: Miriam Herrera-Seja shows me the flood damage in her rented house. The floors are buckling and the doors are stuck. And she's facing a heap of unexpected expenses. Sewage-laced water ruined the fridge, the oven, the washer and dryer also the car, that her husband needs to get to his job at a dairy.
6: She tells me they had
4: come to Planada only months before, fleeing the violence of a criminal gang in Mexico, and were admitted to the U.S. to seek asylum. We were just starting over, she says, and now we're left with nothing. Since they don't have asylum yet, they're not eligible for emergency aid from FEMA. But Herrera Ceja knows she's not the only one. Everyone in Planada got hit. The flood also put many farm workers out of jobs, as fields were swamped and planting delayed. For unauthorized workers, there's no federal unemployment insurance, and a campaign to create a state program failed this year. In spite of it all, Herrera Ceja hasn't lost her sense of perspective.
6: Altas, bajas, pero no nos Life has ups and downs,
4: <laughs> but we won't let it break us, she says. And now there may be some relief in sight. The budget, signed last week, includes $20 million to help Planada residents recover, regardless of immigration status. You've got to keep moving forward, she says and give it all we've got. For The California Report, I'm Tyke Hendricks in Merced County. And that's
1: The California Report for Wednesday, July 5th. We're a production of KQED Public Radio. I'm your host, Saul Gonzalez. As always, thanks so much for joining us, and have a great day.
0: Caltrans crews will be grinding and repaving sections of Interstate 80 later this week, The state agency announced today that pavement repair work on Interstate 80 between Auburn and Colfax will begin Sunday, July 9th. Motorists are advised that the work will impact traffic along the 14-mile stretch of I-80 between the Hillside Terrace overcrossing in Auburn and the State Route 174 overcrossing in Colfax. The work will cause various lane restrictions and delays from 8 p.m. to 7 a.m. Sunday, July 9th through Friday, July 14th. Motorists can expect temporary striping in the area until mid-September when new signs and striping are scheduled to be installed. Turning now to the regional weather forecast from the National Weather Service, here in Nevada City and Grass Valley, we can expect dry and breezy conditions and a gradual cooling trend for the rest of the week. Tonight, we'll see clear skies with a low around 59, Thursday will be sunny with a high near 84 and a low around 58 degrees on Thursday night. In Truckee and the Lake Tahoe area, typical July weather is expected through the weekend with warm temperatures, afternoon breezes, and isolated thunderstorms. Tonight in Truckee, Tahoe, mostly clear skies with a low around 47. Thursday will be sunny with a high near 77, and Thursday night should be mostly clear with a low near 50 degrees. Sacramento and the surrounding valley is experiencing a gradual cooling trend this week, though temperatures are expected to climb next week. Tonight, Sacramento will be mostly clear with a low around 55. Thursday's high will be near 85. Thursday night will cool to a low around 55 degrees. You're listening to the Evening News on KVMR. On the 13th and 14th of last month, the Federal Reserve met and broke a streak. It was the first time since last January that it declined to raise interest rates. Up next, KVMR's Paul Emery and economist Gary Zimmerman discuss that decision.
5: This economic report is sponsored by Rick Kelb, Wealth Management Advisor with Northwestern Mutual since 1983 on Spring Street, Nevada City at Rickkelb.com. Com. Well, the uh, Federal Reserve was back in the headlines, Gary, in June, as you know, when they announced their monetary policy decision to hold their target interest rate unchanged. Was that a surprise to you?
2: No, Paul. The Fed's decision not to raise their target short-term interest rate target in June and leave it at the five percent to five and a quarter percent range really wasn't a surprise. I think a lot of economists and Fed followers were expecting the Fed policymakers were likely to pause their interest rate hikes in June and take a little more time to see how inflation in the economy were performing after the Fed's you know, 10 interest rate increases since March of 2022. We're also looking to see if there were potential impacts from the 2023 um, banking failures and the threat that the U.S. could default on its risk-free debt securities. You know, and finally, there were several Fed policymakers um, who had been indicating in speeches and the public uh, comments that, you know, if there weren't any major shocks to the economy or the financial system, they might support taking a pause from raising rates at the June meeting to sort of get more sense of what's what's happening.
5: Well, Gary, the Fed policymakers in their statement and and the Fed chairman Powell continued to indicate that their future monetary policy decisions would be, quote, data dependent. What kind of data do they look at when they're making those decisions?
2: Well, the Fed policymakers will be looking at a wide range of economic indicators to measure the pulse of the economy, inflation, the financial system, you know, and try to get a sense of how well it's performing and Trends are emerging in the economy and the financial system. Uh, is it doing what they expect it to do or, or not? You know, and and they, from that, try and come up with the correct policy. You know, And many of those data series that they're looking at are going to be familiar with us or to us. Um, inflation rates, new job creation, changes in the unemployment rate. Income and consumer spending growth, investment spending, financial market conditions, surveys of business and consumer expectations are you know very useful for looking looking, forward-looking indicators. Um, And then of course you also want to look at interest rates and interest and inflation expectations. What do the markets think is going to be happening there? You know, and of course they plug some of these data, also many of these data um, series, into models that um, they use to make. Projections for where the economy is like to likely to go in the future.
5: Well, Gary, what are some of those indicators telling us uh, right now about inflation and unemployment? For example, is the economy still growing?
2: Well, the good news was that the uh, GDP or the revised gross domestic product figures uh, for the first quarter were revised upward from only one percent. Uh, 1.3 percent growth in the first quarter to 2 percent growth, which is about average or maybe even a little better than average. Um, So that's that was good news um, for the economy's performance. Um, But second, the inflation rate by nearly all measures remains well above the 2 percent inflation rate that the Fed would like to see in the in the longer run. And the um, in the last week, the personal consumption expenditures price index um, for all goods and services is you know ro- rose at a 3.8 percent annual rate over the 12 months ending in may that's uh, certainly an improvement from 4.3 percent in april um, um that's progress but of course it takes a long time for a central bank like the federal reserve to slow the economy by raising interest rates and even more time for the slower economy to bring down the inflation rate and You know, and I think that's why the Fed policymakers are not projecting getting close to their 2 percent inflation goal until the end of 2025.
5: My goodness, that's that's a ways off.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Um, Gary, uh,
5: the unemployment rate rose in May. Do you think that is a signal that the economy is slowing down and that the Fed's policy of raising interest rates to slow down the economy and inflation, uh, that uh, that policy is working.
2: Well, Paul, uh, just just one one monthly movement in that uh, data series is, is probably <laughs> not enough to make that decision on. It's you know, too early to tell. I think economic data can be noisy; it means that they you know jump around and don't normally follow perfectly smooth patterns. Um, The, for example, the April unemployment rate was the lowest unemployment rate in about 50 years. So while the US headline unemployment rate rose to 3.7% in May, that is still a very low unemployment rate and it's well below the Congressional Budget Office's estimate of about 4.4% for an estimate of full employment. And moreover, the the U.S. economy is still adding jobs at a very strong pace. It averaged over 300,000 new jobs a month in April and May. That's quite strong, and it's certainly consistent with the revised 2% growth rate in total output um, in the first quarter of 2023. Um, You know, and then this Friday, we'll get the June unemployment rate figures and the payroll job numbers. um, They'll be published, and that should give us an updated view on labor market performance. Um, So stay tuned for those numbers on Friday. You know, if the news is too good, the Fed will be more likely to raise their target short-term interest rates by another one quarter percent at the end of their, at the end, (laughs) excuse me, at their meeting at the end of July.
5: It's kind of odd in a sense of uh, uh, too much good news is bad news. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, it's, it's good, good news if you're uh, trying to avoid a recession. It's bad news if you're uh, trying to bring down inflation.
5: Complicated stuff. Gary, uh, great to have you back on KVMR, and we'll, we'll catch up with you in a couple of weeks.
2: Thank you, Paul. Good to be back.
5: Gary Zimmerman is a retired senior economist for the San Francisco Reserve in San Francisco and currently is a visiting professor at the Vienna University of Economics and Business
0: in Austria, where he teaches courses in economics and finance. A SpaceX Falcon 9 rocket lifted off from Cape Canaveral, Florida last weekend to launch the Euclid spacecraft into space. The spacecraft is carrying a wide angle space telescope built by the European Space Agency that will hopefully help scientists figure out what our universe is made of. Al Stoller spoke with one of those scientists just before the launch. Just before the turn of the century, it seemed that we knew what everything,
7: the whole universe, was made of. There was matter, stuff we could touch, and there was energy that moves matter around, lights it up. And then, In the mid-1990s, we discovered that, more than matter and energy, the universe is made mostly of two other things. Dark matter, we don't know what dark matter is, but its gravity pulls on us, and dark energy, which we understand even less. But dark energy seems to be pushing everything away from everything else. This past weekend, the European Space Agency launched a spacecraft, Euclid to study dark matter and dark energy. I spoke with Alina Kiesling of NASA's Jet Propulsion Lab. Dr. Kiesling is part of the American Research Presence on the European spacecraft.
3: I've been making computer simulations of the universe, trying to understand the interplay between dark matter and dark energy.
7: What will Euclid see that will verify or allow you to correct your calculations?
3: Euclid will see about 8 to 10 billion galaxies. Of those about one and a half billion of them, we'll be able to investigate the shapes of those galaxies, look really carefully at the shapes of the galaxies. And what that tells us is about the intervening dark matter.
7: Dark matter pulling the galaxies out of shape.
3: This is a really complicated thing to do because the galaxies are, are quite small on the camera, we're trying to measure deviations from the shape of something that we didn't know its original shape to begin with. So we need to do this statistically, which means we need to look at millions and billions of galaxies to try to see coherent shape distortions. When we investigate these very, very subtle shape changes of the galaxies all through the universe, we understand more about this intervening dark matter. And we can also start to understand a little bit more about the dark energy. And so Euclid will do this on a really grand scale, giving us a really exquisite view of what's going on with dark matter and dark energy and ultimately helping us to understand better the fate of the universe.
7: The fate of the universe. We've known for decades that the universe is expanding. We thought it was slowing down. What we learned back in the 1990s is that the universe is growing, expanding, faster and faster, thanks to dark energy.
3: Galaxies are getting further and further apart over time. Eventually, galaxies won't be able to see any other galaxies in the sky. The universe will become a really dark and lonely place.
7: And our fate could be more lonely yet.
3: If dark energy is actually a little bit stronger than scientists currently think, that would mean that not only are those galaxies being pulled further and further apart, But the individual galaxies themselves might start to be pulled apart. The stars within the galaxies will get ripped out, and then the planets will be ripped out from behind their stars.
7: And it might not stop there.
3: If the dark energy is even stronger, it could actually start to rip even atoms apart. It's not a fate we're expecting, but it would be a really interesting thing to find out.
7: How many billions of years in the future are we looking at?
3: Oh, it's many, many billions of years in the future. We don't know what dark energy is. Uh, dark energy is the, the, the name that, that scientists gave to our ignorance of what, what's causing the accelerated expansion of the universe. But we can understand its properties by doing a lot of the experiments that we're doing. Sorry, I'm probably not uh, giving you a whole lot of insight because um, I'm afraid that it's something that's, that's not even necessarily super well understood by cosmologists either
7: the Euclid spacecraft will make another interesting measurement.
3: Measuring the distance from each galaxy to each other galaxy. How close together are galaxies? And this galaxy clustering technique really tells us also about the dark matter and dark energy, the push and pull of the dark matter and dark energy in the universe, and really give us a a strong picture of what's going on in the universe over time.
7: Alina, this has been really fun. I want to thank you very much, and I wish you luck.
3: Oh, thank you so much, Al. It's really been
7: my pleasure. I'm speaking with Dr. Alina Kiesling of JPL. For
0: KVMR, I'm Al Stoller. That's our newscast for Wednesday, July 5th. You can listen to it again or check out past newscasts on our website, kvmr.org, or by subscribing to the KVMR News Podcast. KVM gets support from Colfax Farm and Country Store, family-owned since 2007 in downtown Colfax. Open daily, 9 to 6, Sundays, 10 to 2. Carrying hay, feed, premium pet and bird food, also supplies and gifts. Delivery available, colfaxfarmstore.com. And Prime House Direct, offering a two-day truckload sale of steak, chicken, seafood and pork, from 8 a.m. to 7 p.m. on two days only. Today, July 5th, and tomorrow, July 6th, at Top This Outfitters, 745 South Auburn Street in Grass Valley. Support for KVMR's Future of Radio project comes from AJA Video Systems, empowering the next generation of local journalists and broadcasters. Thanks very much for listening. I'm Claudio Mendoza. Have a great evening.